Good day, everyone. My name is Jeff Rose. I am the founder of Leading Ed, as well as the host of Leading Education podcast. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Now, today is an important day. It's the inauguration of a new president. And last week, I happened to have had an incredible conversation amongst a group of educational leaders that really span different areas of this country. The context of that conversation was a follow-up relative to the chaos that happened in the nation's capital the week prior. I was disturbed, as was most Americans, and like Leading Ed does, when there is a dilemma or a challenge, what we do is we circle up. We have two very important concepts that we preach often. One of them is don't lead alone. And the second is circles are better than rows. Leading Ed is a community of leaders, educational leaders, superintendents, and their executive teams. And the concept is we help one another with very specific systems of support. We believe that none of us is as great or as impressive as all of us. And so our concept is we gather people around the table. And that is exactly what we did last week. And so what I have done is taken that conversation and converted it into a podcast. It was a live event where all of our members got to listen to this small group of impressive leaders. But this will actually be a recording, an audio recording of that event. And I believe releasing it today makes tremendous sense. And I think you'll enjoy it. So ladies and gentlemen, enjoy these incredible leaders and their thoughts and perspectives relative to navigating the complexities of the politics that happen at national and sometimes state and local level and how it impacts their ability to lead schools and communities. Take care, enjoy. Um, let me introduce before we jump into the conversations, um, and this is in no particular order other than just alphabetical. Um, Shannon Cox, a superintendent of Montgomery County ESC in Ohio. Tracy Dorlin, the deputy superintendent of Adams 12 five-star schools in Colorado. Dr. Mark Hansen, superintendent of Elmbrook schools in Wisconsin. Dr. Natalie Henderson, deputy superintendent of Indianapolis Public Schools in Indian, Indiana. Michael Lopes, superintendent of Park Rose School District in Oregon. So um, what a cross-section, right? So um, uh, which is the beauty of leading ed is that we have these members in such different districts, but different places in the country, often struggling through the same challenges. So I'm going to dive in here and we're going to start. Um, those who are watching, please feel free to let us know if you have a particular question. Um, and if you do, um, go ahead and ask it. I will look at the questions and I will somehow bring them into the discussion, whether during or in the end, but feel free to ask. Okay, so the first thing, um, really all Americans and most of the world watched the events and I'm just gonna use the word terror because I can in our capital last week. And so basically for the panel, I'm gonna ask this, with so much emotion, I just, I just want to know what it was like for you. How did you feel? Um, and maybe how are you still feeling and how are you doing? Yes, uh, Natalie, and I'm going by first name. Hopefully no one is offended. You're up. No, no offense. Um, you know, that day started out as a historic day. 
Raf, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnack and John Ossoff were elected from Georgia. I lived in Atlanta. And so watching that starting the day, it was a historic day already. And then to see what it turned into um, was quite stunning. Um, it made me think I lived in St. Louis doing Ferguson and had very vivid um, memories and pictures of colleagues and staff who were walking around saying hands up don't shoot seeing the armored guard you know in our neighborhoods and how we had to act as school leaders at the time and then hearing mobs chant hang Mike Pitts and and the response right from law enforcement so it was just very jarring um, and, and shocking and still processing even a week later and what this means for the next few weeks and months for our country. Yeah, I hear you. Thank you, Natalie. Anyone else? Yes, Shannon. So one of the thoughts that keeps resonating with me is how would we feel with these events if it wasn't in the time frame and the landscape of the pandemic? Um, and how are we different because of it? Um, the, there's this sense of numbing. Uh, it just seems like one blow after another for, for leaders making really critical decisions. So I, I'm not so sure that I can actually put words around how I feel. I don't know that there are, are actual real words <laughs> um, that describe the essence of, of what our what our nation and our world continue to go through. And, and I don't want that to take away from the emotion and the feeling that we should have because we need to do something. And, and it's hard to know what to do if you don't know how to feel about it, right? So um, I, I struggle with, can we really embrace a feeling? Can we embrace a structure of, of thoughts, can we can we embrace it so that we are certain that it doesn't get lost in the chaos of everything else that we're dealing with? Yeah, yeah, solid point. It's interesting to think that students watch this. I think um, that kids and some may not be able to process it yet, but they will someday. This definitely was different than anything we've experienced in this country, um, and so the impact of that and some of those behaviors, and this is, a, this is a right and a left discussion, right? So we have seen a lot of amazing extreme behaviors. To your point, Shannon, what if, if this were not in the context of the pandemic? I don't know. I mean, that would be interesting. I, I consider this actually an unhealthy distraction, and I don't know how you think about it. It was definitely a distraction, but not necessarily a healthy one. Yes, Mark. Um. I have reflected on that day, uh, as I think we all have regularly. And I remember post 2016 election, uh, we did not anticipate uh, the challenges that we were going to have within our student body. Uh, and then 2020, we did anticipate that, but we didn't have it. And then I, I found myself completely shocked and stunned that certification would be where we would end up with that polarizing event. Because frankly, I didn't even know what certification was. And as I think about my own emotions, uh, I received a message. I was in a meeting. And I received a message from a colleague uh, saying, are you watching the news in DC? And so like all of us, I flipped open my phone and looked and saw what was going on. And 
the, the words that, that come to mind with, with, with my emotions were shocked and sad. And then a, a little bit later in the, the evening, I had a chance to pick up my 13-year-old son from his practice, and I asked him if he knew what was going on. And he, um, he choked up. And uh, the impact on kids is stunning right now. We, we have to be better than this. Mark, what do you, when he, when he had that emotional response, um, like, how did he describe it? Why did he have that kind of response, do you think? I, I think since then, it, it's just this confusion, like, what, what is going on? And he's a pretty linear thinker. I don't know where he gets that. He's a pretty linear thinker. And um, I, I don't know that he sees the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's something, Tracy. So my daughter, I, you know, because of the pandemic, I was at home and had the opportunity to realize what was going on and watch it with my 14-year-old daughter. And that's exactly what she said to me. What's going on, mom? You know, it's hard to make sense of it. I do think because of the pandemic, I've had more time with my, my own children and the opportunity to have those conversations meant a lot to me as a mom. And it, it does push me as an educator to think a lot more about what is my role as a leader in public ed? Um, and it, it, it really pushes me to think about how we not only support our teachers and educators and everyone who works with our students, but also our students themselves to be individuals who can not only be expressive and informed and educated in their own viewpoints, but also individuals who can stop and turn that off and sit and listen and, and I'm just really contemplating a lot around what are the types of skill sets and competencies that we need to provide to our young adults and children so that they're in a place where this, they can be in the center of what are often very polarizing issues and try to br build bridges. We will never always all agree on everything, but we have to get to a place where we can have difficult conversations and share multiple perspectives. Um, not that anybody's perspective justified anything from last week, by the way, um, but I just worry, what are we missing so that we ended up in that spot? Um, right, I mean, and talk about the role of education um, I think is the right question. What is, what is our role as educators? I mean, of course, one may say, well, it's just everything, but potentially how could this have happened to your point? And then what's our job to make sure that this kind of thing maybe doesn't need to? I mean, what, what is the conversation we can have with kids right now um, to start you know, breaking down because you know, to you know, Mark's son who, who who was emotional around it. Um, I mean, I think that's something that we better capitalize on. It seems like that's, that's in our laps. Um, so your leadership roles, um, 
are political in nature. <laughs> you're not politicians, uh, but you can't deny it. Um, it just is. So your challenge is, is you're also supporting a community with many different strong political perspectives. And some that may align to you and some that may not. Um, and, and that is what it is. So after a scenario like last week, which was historic, um, what's your strategy to have empathy for the various strong opinions, even though we all watch the same thing? Now, we may have listened to different reasons and rationale depending on the news feed, but you know, how do you in your role, because you have opinions too, also have empathy for those that you're serving, even if it's dramatically different? What's your strategy as leaders to do that? Because um, I know you have to. Michael. Michael, you're on mute. You know, my thinking around strategy is, you know, we, we do have to, we have to know who we are as a district, right? Who are we serving? And, you know, in our community, we, you know, we primarily serve students of color and families of color. And I think that it's important as a school district that we stand with our families that clearly see a double standard. Um, you know, obviously Portland's been well known for the protests that occurred this summer, but it's been happening all across the country. And this is, you know, this is a reckoning. And if we are to make change, we have to recognize that we can't be complicit, particularly as white leaders in our country. And so the hard part about right now is that we're all feeling, you know, like I feel these deep emotions, you know, I fear, anger, frustration. And, I, and, and when we think about, we talk about our own kids and how they're responding to it, I think we have to recognize that trauma um, is a delicate thing. So we do have to have time to process before we start intellectualizing what, what, what's happened. Um, because I look at our kids and our families and our community and rightfully so, they're angry because they see a system that has been, you know, this is, this is not a surprise to many people in our community. Um, it's, it's so sad, it's so disappointing, but it's not a surprise. And, and I think as school leaders, we can't be complicit and sit back and be neutral on this subject. So I do think as a leader for me, I, I think folks need to know where I'm coming from. And, and any, any situation where you have a leader, whether it's our president, a superintendent, a mayor that dehumanizes people in our country, which has been going on and the United States is built on that. And, and, and so I, I do have to listen with compassion to people who are frustrated, whether it's they're coming from the point of view of you shouldn't be talking to my kid about this at school or the other perspective of why aren't you providing space for my child at school to process this devastating event. Um, but I do think that it's important that folks know that I stand with our kids um, and that I can't stand for a double standard for our kids to see um, their family members, um, their loved ones be tear gassed, beaten um, historically. And then for, um, you know, one of the most remarkable things to me on uh, last Wednesday was that there for some of those police officers at the Capitol, there was compassion in their eyes for this white, primarily white mob that attacked the Capitol. Um, and that, that is not reciprocal. When if, if that were primarily black and brown people um, attacking the Capitol, it would have been a different result and it would have been horrific. And that's what has me so angry 
is because our kids can't make sense of that. And, and that, that is, is very difficult as a leader. Yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Michael. Thanks. Yes, Natalie. Uh, Michael, I appreciate everything that you said, and I, I agree. I think for us, our our racial equity uh, policy, our Black Lives Matter resolution allowed us to ground our response and our support and what we as an organization uh, to be important. Racial equity is one of our core values. And so how do we help our leaders and our teachers lead from that lens to support our students. And so one is modeling. Um, we at our we had a principal's meeting the next day, so modeled a protocol to be able to allow people to share, you know, what they were thinking and a response to quotes. So we did that with the assistant principals. Um, our, our superintendent has done a great job in, in even modeling her leadership, like you said, in the stance. I can think back to June. She and I both participated in uh, protests locally after George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery. And, and being able to say um, in a public space, I think gives our leaders, our teachers, you know, and our students that that it's okay right to to stand in that conviction um, but I, I, I strongly believe in being able to equip people with the tools and the language that they need to have that conversation because we, what we don't want to happen is it devolve into an argument right when you say this and I say that but like how can we orchestrate that that emotional processing um, our, our staff members all participate in racial equity training and one of the um, as a relatively new employee I went through my two days and one of the phrases that sticks with me is around making the invisible visible uh, could also probably use the saying call a spade a spade make call a thing a thing but being able to do that um that i think has also helped our staff over this as we deal with dueling pandemics of covid and, and racial inequity right that they have had that set of, of of training and tools and language to use to support their students and to support their communities right um so i need to ask this question then so, you know, Michael and Natalie, you just kind of described, uh, which I think, you know, how you, how you serve your people and, you know, therefore what they need to hear from you. Um, in the meantime, um, your districts also, and this was a fault of mine as a leader at times, was I often was too fast to say what I thought and what I felt and what I thought people wanted to hear, forgetting sometimes that sometimes I was serving in a place with various perspectives. And that sometimes even got me into trouble. So that being the case, you know, what is pr perspective on how you navigate a scenario where maybe your district has completely, maybe straight down the middle or even 50, 60, 40, et cetera, political perspectives on what happened and may not be, um, you know, the same demographic, Natalie and Michael, as your district. So I'm curious for the group on managing that because I know you have to. Shannon. So here in our county, um, we just looking at partisanship, right? Like our, our urban center is very much um, falls within the, the Democratic Party. Um, our suburbs, again, kind of stereotypically and historically have all fallen within the Republican Party. And then our rural aspects uh, kind of play into that. So I, I always feel like Montgomery County, Ohio is like a little microcosm of the state of Ohio, which may or may not be a microcosm of the, the bigger nation. And so um, I, I think it's it's important as leaders to remember 
we are still people who have political views and we are still people who have uh, mental maps that we've been raised with. Uh, we have unconscious bias, we have conscious bias, <laughs> we have explicit and implicit, implicit bias. So um, I always try to give myself permission to sit in that and, and really not just know who my districts are and what they believe in before I make statements, but or, or provide actions or opportunity for, for space for people to put voice into but also me myself, right? Like I have to actually come to that as a human, as a leader, myself first. And we're not always gonna get it right, but but we can't do nothing. We can't, we can't just, I apologize. My phone decided to listen to me and talk back to me. Sorry. Yeah, yeah how um, rare, how rare. Yeah, these, these imagine, that. <laughs> <laughs> imagine that. Um, so anyway, I, I appreciate what Michael and Natalie have said because I do think we have to we have to give ourselves compassion and we have to know where our where our um, empathetic skill set lies, and then we have to make sure that we embrace that and, and give it give it to others. And so compassionately listening and providing empathy doesn't mean that you're going to tolerate behaviors that are harmful to humans. And and so. Being able to 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 handle all of that, I didn't say I didn't get it right every time. Um, I'm still not getting it right every time. But we have to still provide those opportunities to our whether they're constituents or our communities or our leaders that we're supporting and help support. Um, we can't just stop because we didn't get it right, and we have to know better and do better. And so leaning in our circles and and making certain that we're listening to one another and helping one another. And, and for me specifically, holding very safe space to have courageous conversations so that the leaders can then get it right or as right as it can be with their particular constituents and, and staff members, that's very important. And it's, it's something I think sometimes we overlook is just to take a pause, take time and really settle in in order to do it, um, to do it the best that we can. Yeah, Tracy, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that that chance to just take your time. Um, and the other thing I would say that we've been talking a lot about in Adams 12 is you can't do it alone. And when I hear Natalie talk about what I believe is a different level of capacity where you are, Natalie, than what we have currently in Adams 12 around the ability to lean in to equity and bias conversations. Um, it's, I'm a little jealous. We, we are currently in the process of having some really great conversations about our um, next steps with a strong focus on equity and more clear statements about that being at the top of our values list. And how do we not only just put that sort of in words on a piece of paper, but how do we make that a part of how we live in Adams 12 and work and support families and students in Adams 12? And a big, huge part of that for me as somebody who's leading at the district level is this thought about there needs to be very intentional focus on building the capacity of leaders and teachers in the system to do that work. Because even if you have all the just right words and emotions and intent at the superintendent level, and you get all that right and out the door uh, and packaged beautifully, um, if the people around you 
And the individuals working with our families and our students on a daily basis can't carry that forward in the day-to-day -day work, it's not gonna take root. And, um, and so Natalie, I'm gonna be reaching out to you to find out more about what your district's doing in this space because we really are on the verge of what I think is gonna be very intentional and meaningful work. But if you do it, this is the other thing I have learned. If you do it wrong in this space, it is the one area where you will take 80 steps backwards and it's gonna be really hard to get it right going forward. So we're, the intentionality for me is really important and that capacity building. Um, Cause we are in a district, Jeff, where um, we, have, we have some division yeah. and that's really hard. It's really hard, especially for our high school principals to navigate uh, when these issues spill into our high schools with our adolescents. Um, and, and we need to give them the tools and resources and capacity to, to support their own communities, their smaller communities. Uh, and I'm looking forward to doing that work. And, but I do think it's about capacity building. I, I remember as um, my first realization as a leader, and it was when I was a principal, which was a long, long time ago, um, that what happens outside of the walls of what I thought was my world at one particular time, which was not my school, um, you know, community state finds its way in. Right, it somehow finds us, even if I wanna keep it close, it's gonna break your doors down, it finds its way in. And it impacts the climate and the culture. And so I'm just gonna ask you what, do you, what do you anticipate the impact of kind of what happened or what's happening relative to this kind of political uh, challenge um, with you know, your staff, your community, your students? What do you anticipate? Because it, it's only, it's last week, right? This doesn't just happen it unfolds over time. So what are your predictions? Michael. I do think the opportunity is that, you know, that there will be space and time to process as well as talk about how, you know, how this impacts our kids and depending on our district and where we are with racial equity work, because I do think it's paramount that we come out of this understanding that neutrality is just as dangerous as the perpetrators who attacked the Capitol. And, and because a lot of people were really surprised by last Wednesday, but a lot of people knew it was coming and could see it coming from a really long way. So I, I think we, when we do start to intellectualize this, I do think I agree with Tracy and Shannon about the capacity building. I think that's really important, right? If, if I didn't have a school board that, that supported me to, to take a stand, to not be neutral, to, to know that um, there is no justice in neutrality. Justice comes from understanding what is right and what is wrong when we, in, in terms of how we treat human beings. And that's particularly important as a, as a person who works in primarily a community of color um, to show that, that I'm here because I wanna be here and that I'm going to use my privilege to, to bring that change and help build capacity, not only in our staff, but also our kids. Because you know Mark's talking about his son, how do we build that hope and how do we, provide them with the tools as Tracy was talking about to understand the, the, the dangers of our history, right? But also recognize that our history is something to learn from. And if we stay complicit and pretend that it's not a history that was built on dehumanizing people, profiting on slave labor, um, that, you know, that, that is a really slippery slope and we won't get very far if as leaders, we don't start to engage in that conversation and build capacity for our leaders who are in places where it is politically more difficult. But, um, but that's what's true. 
and that is what is right. And how do we give, you know, uh, Natalie, I like how you, you talked about giving folks the tools and the language to use, because if they don't have those tools and language, it's easier to sit in neutrality, particularly as a white person and just say like, you know, this doesn't have anything to do with me. Uh, and, and that really worries me. So, you know, for, for, for us in our community, I think it's about continuing to build that capacity um, and helping our kids find the hope because they are our hope, right? If things are going to change, we've got to help them um, with that change. Yeah, thanks. Natalie. Let me unmute. Um, I think a couple of things I think are going to happen is going to require us as district and school leaders to be a little bit more um, proactive in anticipating how people respond to what would be a normal event, right? That happens, right? In a, a midterm, a primary, like I think those types of things. Um, I remember uh, just the other day I had a CAO colleague um, from Georgia reach out and was like, hey, how are you guys planning to handle next week's inauguration and planned protests at state capitals? And I was like, that is a good flag, you know, let's, let's cabinet talk about that. And so I do think that those types of conversations are going to start to happen, right? Because we recognize, as you said, Jeff, that what happens in that cascades down. I also am, I'm at the upper uh, end of the millennial generation. And so I'm on TikTok often and the kids, the middle schools, the elementary kids, the high school kids, like they are really involved and in, right and understanding and doing their research and actually finding people who were at the Capitol last week. And so I do hope it is an opportunity within classrooms for us to really focus on um, having our kids become more informed how to use the tools. I mean, we're probably all one-to-one -one districts now and and they have access and, uh, to the internet, you know, probably from a year ago to be able to say, hey, let me give you this project, right? For you to like take an iceberg diagram and really go seek out some, some resources and how's that factored into your perspective? So I'm hopeful that because we are in the pandemic and we've had to provide our schools with technology tools and we focus probably a lot of you use common sense media around, you know, responsible internet usage that we can weave that together to help equip our students with their own ability to process their perspective. So predicting is hard though, right? So I remember years ago, I was in Canby School District as a superintendent at the time. And this is, you know, the inauguration of Barack Obama. And I didn't predict, I didn't think about it. I mean, I, I should have, and then I've, I've learned to become better over time at predicting what could happen and how we monitor and navigate and support is really tricky, uh, but we better do it because if we just are in a reactionary mode, then all we will be doing is being distracted as opposed to being able to lead. So that's my commentary. Sorry about that. Mark, your turn. As I was listening to Natalie, I was thinking to myself that um, what, what may come out of this, my hope is, first of all, to, to never repeat this. We don't need to do this again. Uh, but what may come out of it is a understanding that just because somebody has a different viewpoint than you doesn't make them wrong or evil. And how do we help our students and our communities understand that conflict is inevitable? Everything is born out of conflict, but combat is optional. And we don't need to, to go to fighting just because we have a different viewpoint. And as we talk to our high school students, and Natalie, I can't agree with you more, um, our high school students are processing this at a level that I've never seen before. 
and listening to 17, 18 year olds think about what they want for this country warms my heart. Now can the adults just get out of the way? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess the question is, what do you think, I guess from leadership perspective, thinking about kids, what do you think we're gonna learn from this? You know, thinking forward, what might you imagine um, we realistically learn from this scenario? Um, and how do you direct kids on that? Tracy. Um, I think there's inevitably this, you know, typical adolescent attitude of not agreeing that the adults are doing the right thing or rolling your eyes at the adults. And I've been feeling as a, as both a mom of um, young adolescents and in, in our team conversations, as we've talked with our student leadership groups and just our high school students in general and listen to our high school principals, that there's some real legitimate questions our students are asking us about what the adults are and aren't talking to them about. And we've been talking as a team here about, we really need to listen to our students, maybe because of technology, maybe because of social media, maybe because like any information in the whole world is at their fingertips at any given time. I don't know what the difference is, but I don't wanna be this person that's in a different generation and pretends like um, I know better. I really have been um, thinking about how do we listen to our kids and give legitimacy to the questions they're asking about why are we not talking about this? And I think in some ways they're more ready than the adults in our system to have these conversations and they're seeking desperately for somebody to facilitate. And, and to the capacity piece we were talking about, not all of our adults have that capacity. And so I feel a little bit behind in that because I don't think it's just the typical, oh, those adults, you know, they're not doing what they need to do, adolescent attitude. I think it's legitimate. And I think it's a fair criticism of, of my generation and our team here um, a little bit from our students who are saying, hey, like, hurry up, let's talk about this stuff and we need your help. And I don't know that we're, I don't know that we're in a place where we're providing everything they need um, right now. And I'm, I'm a little worried about that. So, you know, leading forward, that's your job, right? How you lead forward um, and, you know, acknowledging the concept that challenges create opportunities as Mark was describing, right? Um, so, however, opportunities during difficult times, it requires leadership. So talk to me about your strategy. Like what, right, we're, we're processing here and that's what this conversation is about, but what does that mean in terms of your strategy, right? Um, and what do you what do you think about your strategy to be able to lead forward, Shannon? So I I just want to maybe put a pin in the fact of that that word leadership. <laughs> uh, many of us on the screen maybe have even taught a class at a college, you know, on leadership, or we've provided professional development to those around us on leadership. Um, and, and I think that Tracy's point about facilitation, like we really need to maybe redefine or take a, a better look at leadership in general. Like what is your already understanding of, of leadership? What practices do you see uh, really great leaders doing? Do, do great leaders just really mean good manipulators or do they really mean that we're, <laughs> we're leading something, right? 
Um, and, and, and how do we be on the right side of history with that? So uh, it's, a, it's a good opportunity, I think, for all of us that have so-called leadership positions or titles to empower others that maybe don't have the title, and, and this maybe goes back to Tracy's capacity building, um, but to, to make certain that we all understand the leadership capacity that we have and could have, including our students. Um, we have got to do better at giving students space and grace to have voice and helping them find their voice when, when oftentimes in, in the past couple past generations, we've squelched it because it has been this, again, that mental map of we know better, so don't, don't talk. <laughs> we know better, so we're gonna, we're gonna go over here and we don't need to know what you think. And it was really actually the transgender issue that, that reared its head, um, rightfully so, and we finally paid attention to it a few years back when it became national news here in the Dayton area about which bathroom are we gonna let kids use when, when um, facing the transgender issue. And I remember going home that afternoon and my then high school daughter said, who cares what bathroom they use? And I thought, wait, what do you mean? Which the, we don't care what bathroom they use. It's you adults that seem to make this a bigger issue than what it, than what it should be. And so without minimalizing it, right? Because we still needed to do a lot of things to make it better for humans and better for kids and safer places. Schools need to be safer places. So we don't wanna minimalize it, but we need to pay attention to the right things. And so that leadership capacity, again, can we stand up and kind of see beyond the COVID cloud or see beyond the, the breach of the Capitol because it was an event, but it is part of a process. And I think sometimes as leaders, we confuse the two. We think the events are just events that stop. Sometimes the events are part of the process to build a new norm, to redefine leadership and to, um, really make sense of something in order to, to be better politicians, big P, little P, uh, to be better procedural leaders. And it's part of that process that we really have to facilitate. So long-winded answer, I, I apologize, sort of, for no, it. It's, but it's no need to apologize. That's, I appreciate it. Stellar point. Yeah, Michael. I think leading moving forward uh, you know, the organizations we lead, I think it needs to be clear. And, you know, what do we believe kids are capable of? You know, I think we have to really look at our belief systems about, you know, what are we doing? Um, and because we influence, you know, the curriculum that, that is taught, um, the assessments we use, the space that we provide, you know, Shannon talks about space. I think as a leader, we have to find ways to create space and kind of push beyond that struggle that Tracy's describing is, it is easy as a leader to just sit back and say like, our folks aren't ready for this. They're never gonna be ready, right? So as we've gone through racial equity work, there are folks who have left our district simply because they don't share the same values that we have more clearly defined and what we believe we want for our kids. Um, and, and I think one of, the, one of the pieces for us here in Park Roses, we're going out more often and we're talking to our community. We're hearing the voices that have been underrepresented historically and understanding the things that they want aren't necessarily what the system has provided. And, and that's, been, that's been crystal clear. And I think that has started to create a synergy around, okay, this is, you know, this is a community and we have a responsibility to all of our kids. So I think, you know, I think outreach, family engagement is, is key. 
and then of course building capacity and creating space. But I, I also think we have to take a close look at the curriculum that we're using and teaching our kids. Because if our kids don't understand the systems that are set up to dehumanize people that live in our country and other countries historically, um, I don't know if they'll, they'll, they'll see. I mean, you just get wrapped up in it. You become an adult and you think like, oh my gosh, how did we get here? And if you don't understand how we got here, it's going to be really tough to find ways to make change, particularly when we're making change, trying to make changes in our educational system. So let me ask you this. We have, first off, no, we're going we're to wrap up here in a minute. And um, we have a number of really great comments, you know, in, in the chat that have come. So everybody on this panel, I'll make sure that you get those. So, so you're aware of, um, you know, people's um, amen comments to some of the things that you were saying. Uh, but there's, there's one question that just got posed. And I think it's a really good one. And we'll end with this. Um, so, the, you know, Kelly asks us, so we each have this great awareness of you, meaning you have this awareness of what, what you want to see happen. So how do you communicate with your staff so that they're not left wondering, can I, or should I, what, what you know, how do you do that? And I think that there's a really uh, wonderful question because that also sets the tone on how this is being managed with kids. Cause let's face it, you don't teach students every day. Right. So how do you do that, Mark? I don't know where I read it, but I came across the term that I use a lot with our team. Uh, as leaders, um, we are the purveyors of hope and optimism. And we have the ability to influence other people's dispositions, other people's actions. And the, the phrase that really resonated with me was chief balloon filler. Like our job is to elevate. Our job is to increase the hope and optimism in our system. And from a, a strategic perspective, I would lean into the mission, vision, and values of our organization and make sure uh, they match the current times, make sure they set the course on the vision that's been described by many of the panelists. Uh, and if they don't, then have the courage to fix them and then dramatically increase visibility, accessibility, and engagement for all of our leaders, be omnipresent, have students think there are 14 principles in that high school because that principle is everywhere. Dramatically increase that accessibility and go out and build capacity in others. Uh, and, and frankly, um, set a, a stake in the ground that we're gonna change the world. This is our opportunity. Let's get after it, folks. Anyone else? Yes, Natalie. Here. I think about some of the uh, protocols that we use over the last two weeks, uh, a real simple one with my team of principal supervisors on Friday, we had planned, a, we do SEL kind of check-ins for our team meetings, I'm sure you all do, and connecting on the, the, the virtual world. And it was going to be, pick which one of these, again, I said I was a upper uh, age millennial, I was like, pick which one of these Instagram hashtags explains how you feel today. And it was all very celebratory about new year, new me, all of those things. And then Wednesday happened, I'm like, we can't do that one. So then it came to on a fist of five, how are you emotionally, spiritually, physically, right? Very simple. They gave their number, they talked through, right? To allow me to 
we did. That's something that, you know, somebody could do with a department, a team. Uh, I mentioned the protocol of you having quotes to respond. Why does this resonate with you right now? What do you mean? There are people who pick quotes around hope and things like that. I think about uh, when I was a principal supervisor in Atlanta and we'd had a student protest and we brought all the high school kids by grade level into the auditorium and we allowed them to speak if they wanted to about like what the previous walkout had meant to them and all the things that they thought were wrong with their school but we also passed out index cards so that you know not every high schooler is full of themselves and wants to share and i remember from that that the principal shared that as they went back and read the index cards that there were a lot of african-american students who talked about they were sad about being their only they're uh, the only person of color in their AP classes. There was a dual magnet or that they wanted to take more upper level classes, but they conflicted with their uh, fine arts. And so from that, that school team redid their school schedule for the next year, right? And, and that principal ended up being our learning community principal of the year. And he spoke in his interview about a, that protest, right? Kids marched out, they staged, all that, but how it led to listening to the students and then to be able to increase equity and access to higher level courses and get how students fail from having that, that session in the auditorium. And so that's just a, another concrete example of a way to, to, to move forward. Tracy, you'll be our last comment. You're up. Yeah, make it good. Oh, so, I mean, gosh. We, don't want to, we don't want to end on something boring. Jeff, it really is just a piggyback on what Natalie shared and what everybody's been saying, I think, but in particular, I think it, you have to make it a priority and you have to make it something that is important from the top leadership level. And then you can't let up on having the conversation and, and a plan to make sure that the conversation continues. And I appreciate Natalie's really specific examples of protocols that really allow the conversation to continue in a safe way. That's very helpful. And it's a great reminder to me um, to make sure those things are happening and at least modeling the way on those types of activities. But I really do think um, in a district for the board and the superintendent to make it a top priority and to host the conversation is a great start. Um, obviously not all that you need to be doing, um, but it has, to be, it has to be a public priority and it needs to be constantly talked about. Well, um, I, to, to you, Tracy, Mark, Shannon, Natalie, and Michael, I, I, number one, I, I appreciate you. I think I would assume that you've learned something from each other just being in this conversation, right? And right, it really goes back to what, what I, I believe, and I know you believe too, that right, none of us is as strong as, as, strong as all of us. And I would um, just ask those that are listening, um, those a part of our community, remember, put your head up keep your head up because you have to look out. You can't just look down, right? And we have to look towards each other outside of our own environment to learn from other leaders. And the way you do that is by circling up. You don't just sit and get. That does not work for kids. It does not work for leaders. So I appreciate the leaders in this room. I appreciate those, those listening. And then I appreciate Appreciate those that will listen to this later because this is recorded and we'll post it to our members. So thank you very much. You're very, very busy. And when I emailed you just a few days ago and said, I need you to talk to us, um, you jumped at the opportunity and I appreciate that. So once again, thank you. Thank you for everything that you do. You're incredible leaders and you'll see that in the comments that were made in the chat. So I'll make sure that you have those if you can't see them in front of your eyes. So everyone take care, ladies and gentlemen. 
Um, Leading Ed, thanks you. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jeff.